0: Hey everybody! Today we've got a, a guest, a previous guest that's with us, uh, John John Ellis. Say hey, John.
1: Hey Adam, how are you, man? Hey everyone, how are you guys doing?
0: <laughs> Very good. So John and I are kind of working on a new mini series that we wanted to put out. This is going to be a, a separate from the regular podcast. So I hope you guys enjoy it. But uh, John, why don't you want to tell us everybody what we're going to be speaking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think you and I, after we initially did our interview, we got some really good feedback. Around it, and I feel like we went a inch deep and a mile wide, and I think on any really of the topics that we were discussing, you can really go uh, an inch wide and a mile deep and so just based off feedback from other listeners, it was really looking to expand on some of the topics that we had discussed in our previous meeting, and so really, you know you and I were talking about it, and you know the old adage of the first million is always the hardest, and so I think about. Just the framework of what it takes to get there, but also what it takes to get beyond there. And so just a couple of different topics around perceived value, sales enablement, technical issues, things like that, that especially a lot of early stage founders or people early stage joining a company tend to run into. So if we could shorten the learning curve by one tenth of 1%, I think we made a difference.
0: Great. So... Today, we're going to speak about, like you just said, but uh, perceived value and uh, kind of how to sell when you have no clients. Let's start with some intro music and then uh, we'll kick things off as soon as we get back. Yeah,
1: let's kick it off.
0: Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Let's talk about today's topic, how to sell when you have no clients. What do you mean by that? What what is perceived value?
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's a really interesting theory. So especially if you do sales, right? Think about it if when you're selling to someone, you're doing product demonstrations, right? Potentially contract negotiations. It's a lot easier when you have a book of business has 10,000 customers, right? Or you have a logoed brand, right? If you call and say, hey, this is John from Salesforce, A lot of people are going to pick up that call even if they don't know anything about you, right? Because they've heard that logo before They, they understand the logo. So starting a company and getting your first couple of customers when you don't have any tends to be a bit tricky, right? And so understanding who you're selling to, why you're selling to them, why they're buying from you and just understanding really the really the thought behind diffusion of innovations theory and how that fits into the type of customers that you should be selling to and understanding perceived value really really makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, I've I've worked with uh, several startups where you get on the phone call with it with people and they're like, "Yeah, how do you relate to these companies? That, like I've never heard of you before." And it's always like You got to really, with (laughs) confidence, be able to uh, address that.
1: Yeah. And assuming we have time today, I think one of the great things to talk through is customer testimonials, right? You know, you talk to a lot of potential prospects, right? And they're like, okay, send me over five different people and five different companies that you've worked for that look just like me, that walk just like me, and let me talk to them and see if they like it there's a way that you can speak through that when you don't have any testimonials to give because (laughs) you don't even have five other customers at all, right? Let alone in their area to do the same type of work from them. So I I think it's an interesting topic that I've spoken on to a lot of different people. And even when I'm interviewing sales reps, right, and talking to them, uh, it's a great question to ask them, like, how would you sell this product if you had no other customers, right? What if you couldn't write off a guarantee to someone? What if you couldn't talk about the ROI that the platform gives people? You have a hypothesis, right? But you don't know. You don't know what that is because you don't have any actual customers. So, how do you sell? Like, how do you yeah. sell if you have no testimonials and no ROI? Two arms tied behind your back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what kind of, uh, when you're asking that to, for salespeople in the interview, what, how do they answer that? That's difficult when they don't know the company.
1: Yeah, most of them, they don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing that I'm looking for when I ask them is can they be honest? Can they talk about, well, you know, honestly, honestly I don't know. You know or, or i don't know and so that's where i think you'll find a genuine person versus your you know used car salesman you know your used car salesman is going to try to you know handle you and really try to you know finesse and just say you know i don't know and so there's some things that we we did especially on when, when starting companies and going into them and really getting those first couple of customers the first thing that i really think about is your monetization schedule Right. Like the first thing you got to understand is how are you going to monetize your idea? There's different stages of a quote unquote company, right? There's the idea, then there's the product and then there's the company. So you can have the first two and not have a real company, right? You can have just an idea, right? There's a lot of great ideas out there that never turn into companies. There's actually a lot of great products, right? That don't ever become profitable right? So how do you look at that? So I think, especially a lot of times when you're very early stage, you're looking at just top line growth, right? How much revenue are we bringing in? You know, and, and understandably, you don't want to look at like, is that revenue profitable and things like that, but you should really start to at least understand it. Like if we sell the unit at this cost, are are we losing money, right? And if, you're, if we're losing money, can we ever monetize it? That's going to be a challenge. And so I think the first thing you want to look at when you're really doing that is what type of pricing, what type of schedule monetization schedule do you want to have on there you know you you, we hear a lot about freemium right that's like the i feel like it's a new buzz term over the last you know half decade right the freemium model right get you know eliminate barriers get people to sign on and that's great Uh, some products are just too complicated for that
0: though and it's also kind of allowed so much more spam to come in and unqualified stuff to come in and and causing misunderstandings on the clients part of what you actually do, because everybody could just sign up, make an assumption, and then leave.
1: Right. And you've got about what 37 seconds to make that impression on someone yeah. and, and get them to convert into, you know, something that's engaging. Because people, you know, aren't going to keep giving you shots on goal, right? If they're not or immediately signed on. And so I think if you bucket or if you're bucketing things, like freemium is one plan, right? That's one methodology to do, where I I really talk about is really the outbound model, right? Of really outbounding, going, identifying prospects, cold calling, right? People that have never heard of you, never heard of what you do, and how do you convert them? And I just think some of the guiding principles that I tend to walk through or think through as I'm going through this is the first one is what has worth is worth paying for, right? So if you're good at something, never do it for free. Right. And that's, uh, we we talked about this, Adam, I think last time about books and things like that. And it was posted on there, but the 48 laws of power, that's one of the 48 laws of power is despise the free lunch. You know, if it has worth, it's worth paying for. So I'm not a huge fan. And again, there's different principles on this, but I'm not a huge fan of just giving your platform away for free at the early stages just to get, you know, hands on it. Now there's beta testing right? And there's a small cohort of people, hey, let's make sure that this product works, make sure we have an MVP that we can go to market with. But once you've established that you've got a functional platform, right? That actually does work and you're ready to start selling it to people. I'm just a big believer in you've got to monetize it as early on as possible, right? If you take your first, let's say 20 customers and just give it to them for free, that's fine. That can work. Don't ever expect to monetize those first 20 people, Right, I think
0: it, I think it goes beyond that, though. It's not just not just monetizing them as a company, but it's also about their perceived value. Like uh, yeah, the topic of yeah. today's conversation is: yeah. if you get something for free, you're going to think less of it. Whereas, even if you pay a dollar, even if you go through that process of of swiping your credit card or <laughs> or paying yeah. the check, yeah. you you automatically take it more seriously. So, even if you're doing a Poc, you know, to to try. Yeah, you're doing a B- poc with a big enterprise customer, and you want them as a client, and you're so afraid to charge them, but you should charge them, even if it's minimal, even if it's only five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, just something to have them have put a step forward.
1: Yeah, or like skin in the game. Yeah, right. You've got to get them to say okay, because. This is a true story that I'm going to tell you here. This actually happened, but and it just made me think of perceived value the entire time. And a few months ago, my wife and I were in Sacramento. This where I'm originally from, and, and and brought my granddaughters or my kids out to see their grandmother. And you know, my wife and I went out and had some dinner. So we were walking in downtown Sacramento, and we were walking up to a corner, and there was a sushi restaurant on the right, and it looked pretty fancy, right? It looked like a pretty nice high end sushi restaurant. I'm not one for like super fancy restaurants like that, but I was like, okay, let's take a look at it. But immediately on the corner, because they were both on the corner to the left of it, there was another sushi restaurant. This one, however, had huge, about five foot posters on the window that said half off shoot sushi all day long.
0: <laughs> and my wife is how, like, well, how, I don't want. How to sick eat. am yeah. I going to get? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so th- this is why my wife and I work so well together because she's like, I certainly don't want to go there because there's just some things you don't want to go discount on. I don't like to spend a lot of money and have been called cheap. So I was like, Oh, this sounds great! Like this, what a great deal! <laughs> Let's go to the discount sushi place and we'll pay, you know, for it later, of course. And so we're thinking about it like this is so weird, but that's the perceived value, right? That's the perceived value of. There's two sushi restaurants. One just looks. You know, nicer, I guess, if you could say that right. It looked like more of an established sushi restaurant right across the street was half off sushi all day long. But here's the funny thing is when we went in there, we did end up going to the discount one. I won that one. So we went into the discount (laughs) one and it was the exact same price as the other place. The only thing that they did was they charged double the amount that anyone would ever pay. Like they were charging $12 for a California roll. But, oh, it's half off, so we'll charge you 5 Well, $5 is the standard price anyway. So that perceived value, you weren't actually getting a discount. And I just thought to myself, why are you hanging these signs on here? They're probably losing as many customers as they're gaining just by the people that are driving by and saying, I don't want to go to a discount, discount sushi place, even though once you go in there, it's actually not really a discount. All right? So they're trying to front load to, to get people in there, but it's really not working. And to your point earlier i think if you even charge them a dollar right charge someone a dollar put a billing credit card on file get them to use it they will inherently see more value in it they will inherently see more value so you you may have to give discounts right if you're especially if you're entering a competitive space right so if you're selling a platform that is already has established competitors certainly you're going to want to win some people on a pricing war but you never want that pricing to be free because they're just going to look at it as you're the discount person. And they're you're going to try to raise their price on them eventually, right? Because obviously, you can't run a business giving away anything for free. And so you're going to lose those people and they're going to churn out. So right? do you, so you think,
0: think discounting is always the option though? Because I, I really, as much as I can, will always refuse to discount like 99%. I'd rather give like a free seat or an extra feature or something like yeah. that. Yeah.
1: So what I've tended to do I'm right there with you. So what I've tended to do is one of a another company I was at, we we called them Stack Discounting where they waived the installation fee and they gave the first month for free or the first and second month for free. After analyzing that, we actually saw that it it increased their likelihood of canceling 5x. Right? If you just we called them Stack Discounts, right? So if you charge them no installation fee and gave them this Time for free, they would just cancel anyway because again they don't see it as valuable. So I'm I'm right there with you. I would rather give someone a free period of time or a discounted period of time rather than say the seat cost a hundred bucks and say okay, well we'll give it to you for twenty five. Right, you could tell them yeah we're going to charge you a hundred because that's what we got to do, but we'll give you the first you know thirty days for a dollar. Right, so we did that a lot um, at Luma as well when we were doing there. Say hey, you know what, we'll take care of your installation fee. We'll charge you your first month for a dollar. But you, you keep that standard pricing because trying to go back to them and monetize them after that, it's just, it's not going to work. It's all about their expectations, right? And, that, and what are their expectations of a customer, right? And so I, I think on the initial topic of like, how do you get your first couple of customers, right? If your plan is to just give it away, you're, you're not really getting customers, right? You don't really have customers until you've got someone to pay the full price for it right? You're, you're getting testers, you're getting things like that. So I think the biggest advice I would give someone is just looking to get some new customers in your new company is make sure you understand the persona, the type of person that you're selling to, right? Because the type of person that you're selling to is really going to dictate the types of expectations that these people have, right? And so if you're, if you're familiar, and if you guys aren't, I would highly recommend looking it up, uh, the theory of diffusion of innovations, right it's a huge, it's a bell curve right and if you look at it your very first segment of people represents under 3% of the market but those are innovators right those are the people standing outside waiting for the new iphone to come out even though it's like iphone 13 at this point right they're going to stand in line right even though they'll get it for cheaper if they wait a week right they just want the newest thing that next point is the early the early adopters and then shortly after that you get into the early majority you have to understand in those different segments their expectations of what your platform needs to deliver will be different. So if you get your first couple of customers because you're just desperate to get a customer and you bring them on and it's, let's say, a laggard all the way at the tail end of it, they're going to churn, right? And especially early on, those customers churning your churn rate very early on, it's critical. Because if you hit a home run and you get an advocate that loves your platform, you'll be lucky if they tell five people about you. But if you sign someone up, regardless of if it was your fault or not, they had misguided expectations, or they weren't properly calibrated on their expectations, and they cancel. They're going to tell everyone that'll listen how crappy you are.
0: Yeah, and even though it's a cost. complete misunderstanding of what you do, and they just were too hastily to sign up, or they had a, a a pushy salesperson.
1: Yeah, they weren't they weren't true to them. So if you if you if you want to get your first set of customers, you need to be willing to walk away from a certain level of prospects. Right to your point, if that person is give me a deal, give it to me for six months for free, you know, give me this. You need to be willing to walk away from them. And really early on, innovators and a lot of early adopters in their decision-making process typically won't even require customer testimonials. So that's a big tip of the hat. Like, how do you know who you're talking to? Like, how do I know if I'm talking to a laggard versus an innovator? There's a lot of telltale signs, but that's one of them. If they're like, no, I, I need to have five testimonials from people that are within a 10 mile radius of Des Moines, Iowa, because that's where my business is located. <laughs>
0: You're
1: <they're> like, okay, <laughs> so yeah. you need to be honest with them and tell them, like, I, I don't have them. And certainly, the laggard won't sign up, they're not going to, they're going to walk away from it. And,
0: and I know what a lot of people are thinking, probably listening to this now, is that you know, if they're wanting the big enterprise clients and stuff like that, that this will scare them away. But I found that especially over the last couple of years enterprise clients are are more willing to go with the early stage startups because they want the innovation and so that shouldn't be something that scares you away that should be from talking to enterprises because they want that innovation and you you don't sell them the fact that hey we've been around for 20 years and we've got a solid project that a uh, product that everybody uses no you sell them your roadmap you sell them your vision And they're on board.
1: Yeah. And the vision and how they can play a part in that vision, right? I I think that's the give and take, right? For your large enterprise customer is they're going to want to know. They were going to want to proof of concept, right? They're going to want to understand the benefits outweigh the risk. And that's just part of the vision. But then also the play on that is, Adam, you're going to be at the tip of the spear here. You're going to be able to help drive this platform and be what you need it to be today and tomorrow because the early adopters are the ones that will give us new product features, right? Certainly when you start using this, there'll be things that you want. Being an early adopter, you'll have a bigger voice with internally within the company to help us drive that innovation that you want that's critical to you and your company. And so letting them know like, yeah, hey, you're an early adopter here, right? And this is why that's beneficial to you as a company and what it can mean. If you try to position them the other way, that everything will be smooth. There will be no hiccups. You know we've done this a thousand times. To your point, it's going to turn them off more than anything.
0: Let's change subjects a little bit. I've got one client that I'm working with that they deal with uh, log ingestion, and one of the things that they have a big enterprise that came that's on board because it's a it's also a newer market. Let alone like a company be new in it, but they need HIPAA compliance because they're met in the medical field. They're worried because, hey, we don't have HIPAA compliance. No, we can't really get that. But I'm telling them uh, and showing them that you don't need to have that compliance necessarily all the time. Sometimes it's just a, a checkbox that they are trying to fill out to say, yes, we need it, but they don't really need it. So what I'm trying to say is in this case, for example, is you could dive deep and understand why is it do you need the HIPAA compliance? Oh, are you actually going to be sending us files with client information? Or is this just your legal team saying that everybody that we work with has to be HIPAA compliant? Because then there's ways around it.
1: Yeah. And, and working you know several years in, in the healthcare space, right? HIPAA is a big thing, right? And understanding that we're absolutely right. And there's a lot of people that don't fully understand it and its implications and what does it mean? And how can you address those in a BAA? and really start to understand what you're doing. So yeah, I think the the biggest thing is understanding what are the needs of the customer and how can you deal up against them, right? And really understanding that and say, hey, if, is it a red herring or is it a real objection, right? And, and what they can get to.
0: So make sure if, if you're listening and you're dealing with clients that uh, are asking for a certain certifications, ask them why they why they need it and and who's, which department is it a concern of and dive in deeper on that.
1: Yeah, and, you, and you'll find that, just because it's something that they need, they're not always subject matter expertises <laughs> on it, right? Yeah. So not, not to be rude or anything like that, but I wouldn't necessarily take that as a non-starter. And you should make yourself the sub- subject matter expertise as much as you can, right? If they're bringing up some type of certification, if they're bringing this up, it could just be something that someone in their legal department brought up because they're legal counsel and, and that's what they're going to do.
0: Yeah. right. G- not, GDPR. They may or- not fully
1: understand it absolutely
0: yeah. gdpr was a huge on this and i don't know how many people told me that you'd have to be, you have to be gdpr compliant in order to for us to work with you and probably 80% of those deals i closed anyways yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i knew more about the law than they did they just heard gdpr okay we have to check that box
1: yeah. It's like a buzz term, right? Like They just hear it. and They're like, oh yeah, this, this, this sounds great. Let's bring it up.
0: Yeah. What do you do when you have the objection from a company that, hey, you've only been around for a short time? How do you handle that if, if they're actually coming up with that objection?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing and, and my overall just broad sales approach is, I call it like the 8-mile approach, is you should know what your landmines are going to be. And the best way to handle an objection is to just keep it from coming up right so you you should you should lead with that like if you know that there's going to be an objection of hey you guys have only been around for six months you should bring that up very early on in the conversation and understand if it's a true non-starter for them or if it's just a red herring that makes it easier to break up with you right if you think about it people rarely tell you the full truth right they're going to say well uh we went with another vendor or uh, it's not in our budget or hey we need uh, gdpr you know th- they'll just come up with ways to politely let you down and won't tell you the real objection right so you want to understand like what could your potential objections be whether it's competitive pricing competitive landscape product fit or hey you've been around you haven't been around for very long right so what you want to try to do is bring that up as early as you can in the conversation in my mind to see if it's a non-starter Because if you go back to understanding where people fall of and diffusion of innovations theory is it will certainly be a non-starter for a laggard. It might be a non-starter for the late majority, but really for the early majority, the early adopters and innovators, it shouldn't be a non-starter, right? It could just be an easy out. like That's their easy out to give you because they don't want to hurt your feelings, (laughs) right? It's like you're getting broken up with. It's like, well, it's not you, it's me. No, it's definitely me you know you're just being polite so try to understand what what that is very early on and that way it doesn't really come up because if it comes up you want to almost use it as a disqualifier on your end right on your discovery you know hey have you worked with early stage companies before like is this going to be a problem for you what part of this platform or what part of our company just wouldn't work for you guys in your vision right and understanding that and i think the biggest thing when you're really looking for those first early customers, but really throughout is to be honest, like don't hero sell, don't sell something you don't have, don't promise them things that you can't possibly deliver, right? Be honest with them, right? Eight mile the thing, talk about all the different things that could potentially go wrong and pressure test it because that person that is, it makes them nervous. You don't want to sign them right now, but they could potentially be a great customer for you 12 to 18 months later. Because now you've done it three or four different times, right? And now you can really go back and say, hey, I know this was a concern for you, this part of the rollout process. Here's how we handled it before and here's how we got around it. Hey, and guess what? Now I do have a customer testimonial for you, right? And I have an advocate. But you just have to be upfront and honest with these people and make sure you're not overselling them and trying to deliver things that you can potentially deliver, right? And really make sure that you're on point. And so be honest, be willing to walk away from a, a potential prospect if they're demanding things that you don't have yeah, and you know that you won't have, or if you can understand that their expectations of what you can deliver is way too high. And just a short example, even going back to Luma, one of the things that we did was patient surveys. And I remember we were talking to a small clinic in the very early stages of it. And this one practice administrator, she was at a dermatology clinic and she was like, I want you to get us, you know, a hundred patient surveys a month. And I was like, okay, well, how many appointments do you see a day? She's like, oh, maybe three or five. <laughs> and so, you do like 20 working days a month. So, you have about 107 patients a month and you will only sign up and you would only be happy if I got you 100 out of the 107. Yeah. Okay. Well, this isn't going like You're not going to be happy with this platform. Like, There's no platform that's going to get you 100% conversion rate. And so understanding like what their expectations of you would be and so understand their expectations and be very clear with them, be pessimistic, be reserved on those so that way when you over deliver on those, they're lifelong customers, they're happy paying the price they'll do case studies for you they'll write testimonials because it's it's a snowball effect right as you know you get a couple of customers it makes it easier to get the next couple and the next couple and the next couple and so you want to make sure that they're happy with the service you delivered against it and you sold it to them the right way
0: there's a big like a psychological effect when you're when you're addressing the problems before they they have a chance to bring it up because you've brought it out into the open it no longer becomes a problem most of the time so, because it's it's only a problem on the surface level, like, oh, you've been around for a short time. That's not really a, a real strong objection for any company. It's, it's going to be extremely rare. So if you take it away from them, now they can't use it against you. And you were honest with them, so they're going to like it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the best, best approach to do it is be honest, like don't hide away from it. Especially with your first couple of customers, you want to find innovators. And the reason why the perceived value to perceived risk for them is a one-to-one ratio. If you look at it on, let's say, a scale of one to 10, their perceived benefit can be a a 10, but their risk could also be a 10 and they would still sign up. Like They're not afraid of the iPhone battery blowing up and starting to fire in their pocket. They don't care, (laughs) right? They just want it, right? But that person that's a late majority or a laggard, they're going to care if their phone catches on fire, right? So they're going to wait, they're going to wait it out. And so just understanding that you can't get 100% market share right away right? So you've got to really understand, okay, who are we dealing with? And then understand the expectations of those groups will be different. So the m- more market share that you gain, you start going into early majority, even late majority, their expectations are much different than the early adopters. So you have to continue to innovate. You have to have uh strength in your product, your ties, but also your go-to-market and how your reps sell, right? Now, once you get a couple million dollars, you have a good book of business, you've got testimonials. Now you can Speak confidently to people and say, here's what we can deliver. Here's the ROI. Here's five people that we can talk to. Even when you have a large book of business, when people do want testimonials, I am very clear with them and, and tell them, say, I, look, I think the customer testimonials should be the last box to check. And, and Adam, let's just be honest about this. You're asking me for testimonials. You're asking me to go handpick testimonials about me. Who, who do you think I'm going to get?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know, I'm not going to get the person that canceled, right? And and said that. So I'll be very clear with them. Like, hey, let's just be honest. If there's some genuine interest here, let's talk through all the steps involved for your decision-making process. Certainly willing to do customer testimonials, but let's check some other boxes first.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, Let's make sure that this is a good fit and don't hide away from the fact that you want to hold testimonials a little bit closer because you don't want to waste anyone's time.
0: Well and also you don't want to you don't want to bother your, your good happy clients with lots of people bugging them, hey, I saw I read your testimonial, what what do you actually think?
1: Yeah, and then they never sign up. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's so yeah, I, regardless of how many customers you have, especially early on, like if you don't have testimonials, you don't have customers you can give them, tell them. Yeah. And I can certainly tell you that when we were early stage at, at Luma and when we were building it, we certainly, quote unquote, lost customers because of it.
0: Yeah, no like big I deal. I certainly
1: wouldn't be able to close more deals, right? But you can't lose something you never had, right? So if someone early stage is, hey, I need those testimonials and you don't have them, let them go because it's likely that you'll be able to get them on once you then build up those testimonials, leave it on good terms and come back around to them.
0: Yeah, because once you, once you burn that lead... It takes a long time to warm them up again.
1: Yeah. You've likely burned them forever. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I I would say also for everyone listening, a a sales tip, when you're at this early stage is speak like you do already have the hundreds of clients already. If you speak with that confidence and you act in your decision-making that this is not your first deal or or your fifth deal, this is your 105th deal, it will come across in your voice and your tonality and how you speak and that... On a subconscious level, really, will speak differently to the uh, prospects as well.
1: Yeah, it's not what you say; it's how you say it, right? And if you sound confident, if you don't know the answer, talk them through it. I'm not quite sure. Let me take a note here, and I'll follow up with you. Yeah, right. Stop selling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Selling should is proper selling nowadays is no longer selling. It's uh, I view it more as consulting. You're there to help them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think very early on when you're getting those first couple of customers, but again, it's more of a methodology approach of sales is sell the drill bit, not the hole. Right. And so what I mean by that, and I talked to a lot of early reps when we're going through onboarding and things like that, is imagine you work at a hardware store and you know, Adam walks in and says, Hey, I need a three quarter inch drill bit. Can you show me where there are? And you know, there's probably, I don't know, 10 different price points right on the three quarter inch drill bit. You may be shocked to understand that no one in the history of mankind has ever needed a three-quarter inch drill bit, ever. <laughs> like in the history, they've no no one has ever needed a three-quarter inch drill bit. What they need is a three-quarter inch hole. So talk to them like, "Hey, Adam, so what do you what are you drilling? It wood, metal? How many holes do you need to make? Right? That will uncover which drill bit to go with, but sell the hole, not the drill bit. Right, So understand what their hole is and what, their, what solution you can potentially provide for them. But just keep in mind, no one has ever needed a three-quarter inch drill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a, a good way to start to close things off here. Any last tip for, for the people listening on, on perceived value?
1: No, I think, yeah, hopefully you found this helpful. Uh, we'll cover some other topics in the future as well. But yeah, be honest, be direct, know the market they are going after, know their expectations, and just be upfront about it. You know, it's okay. That right kind of customer that you want very early on with your company will understand that things can go wrong and they'll be okay with it, right? So don't hide away from them and and don't try to gloss over things, but just be direct and be honest as always. And just, you know, know who you're going after.
0: Absolutely. Great, everyone. Uh, Next week uh, or next episode of this uh, mini series, uh, we're going to be speaking about uh, sales enablement and engagement with little to no resources. And we're kind of going to dive down into... How to how to work with that sales process with, with very minimum resources.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That should be the fun one. We'll come up with some fun ideas to, to keep the team engaged and keep them going. And you can't throw money at a problem when you don't have a lot of money to throw.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. John, thanks. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io.